Hello and welcome to the Daily Booktopian for Wednesday, the 20th of May. I'm Nick Wasilia, the social media specialist for Booktopia. Um, and this is a podcast for reading and writing in the time of isolation and social distancing. Joining me today is the category manager for kids and young adult books, Sarah McDooling. Hi, Sarah. Hello. And our lifestyle category manager, Shanu Prasad. Hi, Shanu. Hi. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. Instead of throwing to both of our uh, different respective guests to talk about books, we're going to talk about two books or a couple of books together as one group. And I'll throw to you, Sarah, what are, the, what are we going to be discussing today? So the theme of today's podcast is um, uh, the subgenre of YA retellings of classic books. Wait, I forgot a word. YA contemporary retellings of classic books. And that's an important um, word, Sarah. It is an important word because we're not because talking about fairy tale retellings or fantasy no. retellings. We're talking no. about contemporary retellings of classic. Correct. For young adults. <laughs> and the reason oh. we decided on this theme is because um, of a series called the Bookish Boyfriend series, which uh, we're both kind of in love with. I read them on Chanu's recommendation. And really, I really, really love this series. So far, there's three books out. Um, there's a fourth book coming. The author is Tiffany Schmidt. And we're just going to talk about these three books and then we're just going to generally like recommend some other YA contemporary retellings of classics that we've enjoyed. So three books. First one in the Bookish Boyfriend series is called A Date with Darcy. And I don't know, Shanu, it's like the, the beauty of this series we were talking before the podcast is that it's not a straight retelling. Like no. these books are kind of like, I'm going to say a, a retelling mashup because the author generally picks two different books. Yeah. And then the story is heavily influenced by themes in both of those books. And it's exactly. very well done. Like, because but, I think... Yeah, because not only is it the themes in the books, right, but it's also about how the protagonist in the book relates to the books and how they think they might relate more to one book, but it actually turns out that they relate uh, better to, to another book that's, um, yeah, that's been mentioned. And it doesn't, it's not saying one book is better or worse than the other. It's just more that um, I think as one of the, the – uh, the best characters um, who oh, I wish we could get her backstory. Um, the teach the English teacher in the book, Mrs. Gregoire. Yeah. Um, it's like this book is not your book. There's like a book for each person that um, that each character, uh, main character in um, in in each of these these books, and that's what's I think that's what's so good about about them. Yeah, it really plays on that idea that I think all readers know to be true, which is that there's. It's not just about books that you like. Sometimes it's about the book, the time that you read a book. It's like yeah. um, when you read a book at the exact time in your life where it speaks to you most profoundly, that's an amazing experience. And there's so the conceit of this series um, is that there's a kind of quasi magical teacher. She's not really magical, but She's actually just a really good English teacher, I think. <laughs> like the the, the way the series goes is, yeah, it's kind of like she recommends a student to read a book, like emphatically tells them that they have to read this one book for extra credit, and it's like she knows it's once they start reading the book, elements of the book that they're reading start to happen to them in real life, and it's so much 
fun. To see them resist her clearly brilliant knowledge and just go, no, 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 I'm really quite happy with this other book or, no, I think, you know, I you know, I will just stick with this. this I'm not going to read this, not for no. me, but Mrs Gregoire, the teacher in the Bookish Boyfriend series, always knows best. You know, and... Because she is Mrs Frizzle from the Magic School Bus, but just for <laughs> the I really like her as a character. I wish yeah. I had a teacher like that. Um, yeah. It's, also, I mean, I, I had great water. teachers. I had no problem with my English. No, they no. weren't magical, and I kind of would have preferred if they had magic powers. But um, so I think, so So just broadly, the first book is called, and, and I think it's good to actually let readers know that if you've looked at this series or if, even if you've attempted reading the first book in the series, called A Date with Darcy. And you might be expecting when you pick this book up for it to be a straight YA retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but it would, when it starts, you pretty quickly realise that it's a lot to do with Romeo and Juliet. And it might be quite confusing for you as a reader to, to go into it expecting an Elizabeth and a Darcy and instead be getting this Romeo and Juliet kind of retelling. But that's the way this series works. So it always kind of starts with one book and then sort of morphs into another book. So book one is a kind of amazing mashup of Pride and Prejudice and Romeo and Juliet. And... Um, the main character's name is Merrily Campbell. Book two is a similar mashup between The Great Gatsby and Little Women, and it's about Merrily's younger sister, Aurora. And book three is a mashup between Frankenstein and um, Anne of Green Gables. Can you, like, I love saying the word. Like, <laughs> the word is so, it's a mashup of Frankenstein and Anne of Green Gables in a contemporary way telling. It's all about Merrily's best friend, Eliza. And yeah. I can't decide which book I like the most out of the three of them. I thoroughly and you, know, and you know what I think is so great also about all of them is that they, and that's why I really was interested in the fact that these are contemporary tellings of classics is that, you know, we all say they're classics for a reason and they're all, you know, still relevant and they are, but that that the books tease out different um, different elements in each um, in each of the in each of the books in the series um, that relate to really relate to how teenagers um, feel and how they you know experience the world and the the sort of the real life sort of uh, situations that they come up with um, or that they that they you know that they have happened in their lives um, and so that's uh, that's why I, that's what I thought was fantastic and how each of the how she managed to make each of the characters so different um, and but also so relatable. Because even though oh, there yeah. are similarities in the in the structures of the books, that's kind of that's all there is. That that they're, they're not like you can't just read one book and, and read the next one. And go well, I've read that book already. They're all absolutely um, separate from each other, and, and really, really rewarding reads. Don't, I I felt that they were very re rewarding. Like I th I don't know if it's just that I love this genre mashup concept or if it's just that. Um, Tiffany Schmidt is a really good writer. Like she writes the kind of contemporary way that I like, um, kind of along the lines of Stephanie Perkins or Sarah Dessen where there's um, a lot of it's light and it's fun and um, but there's a lot of heart to it and then there's also a lot of like interesting character work and, and emotional content there for readers. And I, like, I like that these um, that these all these characters actually, you know, they have families. They're yeah. not just you know, they're not just, they're not like, you know, young adult, some young adult books where you're just like, uh, 
are there adults in this book anywhere besides the one angry, you know, headmaster? Is like, which there is an angry headmaster in these books, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> quite funny. Um, uh, but, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're actually families and about families or where there's, you know, in the third book where the family is not what she would hope for, but, you know, that the book is about families. And I think that's one thing that gets missed a lot, that teenagers often, even though they might, you know, you know fight against them a, a little bit, they do actually, you know, quite enjoy being inside a family and having a family. Um, so I, that, that's what I thought was really great about, about these books, that they, um, they don't shy away from showing messy family life um, for, no. for all the characters. And interesting friendship dynamics as well. And, like, it's called Bookish Boyfriends and, and you would obviously expect them to be a very romantic books, and they, they are. Like, each book does have a romantic subplot, but there's a lot of other stuff going on as well as the romantic subplot. It's actually not just all about the boys. Um, no. The Bookish Boyfriends. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Definitely key. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering how on earth the list of refer- referential classics could possibly be mashed up, I will just broadly, spoiler-free, say she picks an, an element that she is important to the story of the main character and then she finds two books that play with that element in different ways. So in the first book, the main character is um, sort of the, the journey she's going on is just distinguishing the difference between infatuation and, like, uh, you know, a deeper relationship based on more than infatuation. And so... In both of the books, Pride and Prejudice and Romeo and Juliet, you've got an example of infatuated, like, love, young love, and an example of, like, a deeper kind of love. In the middle book, the main character, P.S., this is my favourite one, I think. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've got a favourite, Chanel. I'm leaning to this being my favourite. I, I, think, I think Eliza's is my favourite, and I'll tell you why after we talk about the second one. And you can tell okay. me why the second one's your favourite. <laughs> All right, so the second one, the thing that it really talks about is um, that sort of unrequited love slash obsession slash crush that you can have. Um, and so it draws from The Great Gatsby and Little Women and it sort of shows you how important it is to set aside a kind of obsessive, unhealthy, um, obsessional love, like crush, Um like Gatsby has for Daisy that kind of destroys everything uh, and then make room for a different a different kind of love. It's also a lot about sisters and because it draws from Little Women and this book is very much about the relationship of the three sisters in the Campbell family. It's like it's just like so many threads tied together thematically in a really satisfying way. And, and how um, I think the second one how it's really great that the um, – that Rory doesn't, she identifies a lot with, um, you know, with Amy, but, um, and you can see how that plays out, but she also finds other parts of herself in other sisters throughout, throughout, throughout the book as well. She Um, does. And she's not a reader. I loved reading a book about a character who's not a reader and doesn't sort of like reading books and is still kind of changed by, by the experience of reading books. It yes, was, whereas Merrily, Merrily in the first book was the best the best one to start with because um, she is a lover of books and it makes complete sense and you really go with it and you can understand how she gets into all these situations. But I also love how that she is, like, so smart and they're really clear to make, to explain, like, that she is, like, she could, like, 
the reason she got into this fancy prep school is because of her test scores. Um, yeah. Even though there's other subplot kind of going on with the older sister's fiance's mother, <laughs> which sounds complicated. There is a lot going on in these books. There but, really yeah. is. To facilitate the Romeo and Juliet element, there's a political uh, subplot in the first book. Yeah, it's, like, it's the kind of thing yeah. that when you're explaining it to someone, it sounds bonkers, but it actually yeah. works so, so very well. Yeah. And then why, why did you, is that why you like the second one the best? Because of... I don't know. I'm going to, I'll just, so the okay. third one, the third one takes Frankenstein and um, Anne of Green Gables. And I actually think that the mashup in the third one is potentially the most powerful yeah. um, because the elements taken from Frankenstein, oh, it's so hard. To, this is too spoilery. I, I don't know how to explain why both those books are important to this character without giving too much away about the plot line, but uh, it's more about how she perceives herself from the perspective of others to her, and then how, um, and then how she changes to understand that um, of how she wants to be perceived and how she is actually perceived. Does that make it's sense? It's very much about her self perception and and the yeah. things she values about herself as a person, and the way that you can often be at war as a young person um, between, you know. Uh, appearance and I don't know how to go into it yeah I know and I think this is the one that delves in most deeply because I mean what's really what's really um, important to understand about the third book to make it make sense I think is that she's very she's also extremely smart um and um that's what she's being told is important in the second so in in merrily merrily in the first book is also extremely smart a maths genius but she's also extremely literary um, and she, she's a she's a great writer and a huge fan of writing. Um, a very social person and very charming. And, and in yeah. the second book, Rory is like like the opposite and is like kind of feels like you know the younger sister kind of syndrome in that she feels like she's not as good as the as the others because they're more you know gregarious and outgoing and because she's not an academic smart person she thinks she's but she is but she but she is still artistic. She's um, very artistic and she's smart in a different way. Yeah, but in the third book, Eliza has been, and, but in the first two books, they've got these great parents. Um, I love their parents. Their parents mm-hmm. are wonderful. Um, and their parents are like, even though their parents, the parents don't understand, you know, Rory feels like they don't understand her and you really can see why, you know, how the parents could maybe have done a bit more to like make Rory feel important in that family. Um, you know, it's not, they're not deliberately bad parents. They're just a bit, they just don't realise. Um, but in the third book, um, Eliza is a science genius, very smart, also very beautiful um, in a very classic blonde bombshell kind of way. So she has that issue where, like, not only is, you know, people not taking her seriously, uh, when, but also her parents, her whole life, have basically treated her more like a science experiment than an actual child. So they like care the about her brain. Huh? Did like I spoil the creature, Like the creature from Frankenstein. I'm just having some feelings. Oh, yes. I, right, really, right. I really liked Eliza. And, like, yeah. when you describe that character, oh, she's a science genius and is also really beautiful, you immediately think it's going to be a Mary Sue book um, where the the main character is just too good to be true. But I couldn't just couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, it's so well written. These characters yeah. are so complex. They're smart books for teens, and I just feel yeah. like you would come out of this series as a young reader um, with just a powerful 
desire to read all of the books that influenced all of these characters and just, you know, hungry for more. And I am. I can't wait for the fourth book. Yes, the fourth book is exciting because obviously she's kind of typed herself into a little bit of a corner calling them bookish boyfriends, which I think is why she has two of the friendship circle um, be a couple right from the beginning, like as the book starts because they're both girls. So it would be hard to have a bookish boyfriend. However, she's been able to like go, aha, but I can still do something slightly different in the fourth book. And she's got two boys in the fourth book that are going to be the main characters. So they can still be bookish boyfriends. Yay. And we've seen <laughs> the, the sort of gen, the beginning of that play out at the, yeah. towards the end of the first first book you see those two boys meet and I'm keen for their story and I'm I know that there's a Sherlock Holmes influence in their fourth book but I don't know what the second book will be I'm sure I'm, I feel sure there will be one yeah I don't know um, but, I think I, but we've only thank goodness that one's coming out in January so we don't actually have too long to wait because normally like this book the third book um the Eliza's book only just came out like today so um the fact that uh, we only have to wait like seven months. It sounds a long time, but we all know that if we really love it's it. Not it's, bad. Not too, it's not too it's bad. It's not too bad. I honestly feel like I will probably, I will reread these ones again. The reason I think that, I don't know if it's love of little women and Great Gatsby or if it's just that I really liked the character of Aurora, but as great as all these books are and I, I really enjoyed all of them, I something about the second one, just really tugged at my heartstrings. I thought she was such a sympathetic character. Um, See, I, then, I, until I read the third book, I also I don't know because I, yeah, I, she is she is she is and she's she's great. But I think what I loved more about Eliza in the third book was that was like where she gives these great um, uh, like statements about how about how her body and herself and how. These two, you know, she she owns herself and other people do not own her just because they want to look at her or say things about her because of how she looks. And she's just so I'm not saying it very articulate articulately. If I had the actual physical book in next to me, I should have I should have brought it in with me. I would have highlighted the the actual phrase that she uses. But it was like she such had- a smart way of saying saying that. Um, and I think that's such a helpful thing for teenagers to um, to read as well. I mean, like honestly, this is probably these books are probably aimed. I would say at probably more of your younger, um, you know, because they, they kind of top out these, the characters top out 15. So we all know that everyone reads kind of a few years older than what they, when they are when, when you're a teenager. So yeah. they're probably aimed at more like 12 to 13 year olds. But I think that's actually, um, I think anyone could read it of any age. I mean, Sarah and I, as we've, you know. Read yeah, I think they're thoroughly, but, thoroughly enjoyable reads. And if you like yeah. contemporary retelling of a classic, which I think we should discuss a little bit why we like that in general. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, then you will love these because you've not read a, re- a classic retelling like this before. No, but I was just saying that they are, like, perfect to give. Like, you can totally give them to a 12-year-old and be completely yes. fine with all the messages in it as opposed to sometimes, you know, you're like, if like me, you're like, oh, here, 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 my niece, here, have this book, and she's 11 and you haven't quite read it to the end and you don't realise oh, it. Looks like you didn't realise. Probably not so appropriate. It's a very good point. There's a lot of YA out there that is, you know, um, closer to adult, not appropriate for the yeah. young end of the YA re- readership. Yeah. These books are very, like, they're very romantic, but they're very innocent. Um, Correct. And very age appropriate for that 12, 12 to 15, I think, is the ideal time um, to be reading these. But, you know, as we said, you can anyone who likes a retelling is going to like this. Yes. And why do we like retelling so much? 
Well, I think it's the same. I, I've always loved retellings the same way I've always loved covers of my favorite song. If I if I love yeah. a thing, I kind of have an endless appetite to see sort of variations on the theme of it. Like I, there's no end to how many times I can see a thing that I love reinterpreted. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's, I don't know, I just, I love it. I love knowing where the story's going, but seeing it play out in a slightly different way, seeing different themes emphasised, different takes. It's kind of like crawling into someone else's head and reading your favourite book because you get to see things from something that you love from a totally different perspective. I think that's why I like it. Yeah, I think you've said that very well, and I don't think I could say that better, but uh, I agree. <laughs> That's also because um, the because you know and we're only talking about contemporary retellings, but certainly you know I think the thing that I've loved the most in my life and have read since I was when I was a teenager was like retellings of fairy tales. I could have I think I've read like seven fairy tales, but but you know so seven different original fairy tales, but maybe three thousand different books on oh seven. Oh my fairy god! Tales, we so have to do yeah. a podcast on just fairy tale retellings. Oh yes. That's, that's a whole other thing, but I mean, the, the, there's, I mean, there are quite a lot of contemporary retellings, but not as many as you would think. That not as many YA ones. I feel as though it's yeah. quite a common thing in general fiction. Like, there's yeah. a lot of like rom-com retellings of yeah. uh, Pride and Prejudice that I could rattle off. Like, there's yeah. loads. There's, that's right, and there's a lot of like. I mean, I think the weirdly, they, for the young adult retellings of, like, there's a lot of, um, there is a little bit of Shakespeare, but a lot of, like, Hamlet. And I'm sorry, but that's not, that kind of depressingness is not what I want to be reading. I didn't <laughs> What are the Hamlet ones? I'm interested now. Oh, I, look, look, when I was, like, trying to find some other ones to read, I found a whole bunch of different ones. Um, you were asking me off the top of my head, which uh, I did not write down because I wasn't planning on talking about Sorry. Hamlet retelling. Let's not talk but about Hamlet. Yeah, Let's I'm talk sure about um, our favourites. <laughs> I'm sure they're really good, but I like happy endings. This is an interesting thing because is there – I have one example. I'm sorry this is another put you on the spot thing. If you don't if you don't have an example of this, I've got one. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever read a, a contemporary retelling of classic and they change the story in a way that – you quite like oh like no. a, they change a major plot point like they oh, no, actually no, like oh no tell me about yours because I might be interested in that right okay so I've just got this one example of this it's a it's a um so if you if you're listening to this and you're thinking I haven't read enough why contemporary retellings and you're looking for others as well as Tiffany Schmidt who we highly highly recommend I like the author um, Claire Lezebnik, who does a series that's just all Austin retellings, but they're all contemporary retellings. And they're all very, like, straight retellings. So it's just, like, contemporary kids and it's, then the story sort of plays out the way that you know it. But they're lovely and cute and sweet and I, I enjoy reading them. However, she did a Mansfield Park one where she totally changed the plot um, and Mansfield Park is a book, is not my favourite Austin. I'm, I have like a thing about when cousins get married, even though I know it's totally acceptable from the time period and everyone did it, I still don't love it when I'm reading older books and that happens. I just think about their poor deformed children and it just makes me sad. Um, and I also 
feel as though I really like the character of Fanny Price, but I don't love the way her story pans out in Mansfield Park. So it's for that reason, it's always kind of been one of my least favourites. And then I won't say how, but um, Claire Lezevnik has done a retelling of it, and I wish I should. I'm just looking it up right now because I really should have remembered all the names of the books and I can't. Um, but one of them is based on Mansfield Park, and she just takes license with the plot and and has it pan out in a totally different way. And I loved reading it. Like I don't. I'm not saying that Jane Austen should have written it differently. Jane Austen is fiction, <laughs> and she wrote the book the way that it is, and that's the way it should be. But it is so nice to see a version of it that just goes a little differently. It's just, I don't know. It's like it comes back to that thing of like, if you if you really love a story, I don't know, show me a different version of it. Yeah. I'm always interested and curious. Okay, that that does sound pretty good. I think you need to give a disclaimer that the covers on these books these, uh, that you're talking about are not great, right? So well, just don't get. They're like ten years old. Yeah, yeah, so very standard for ten years ago. Exactly. So the internals of the book are totally worth it. Don't get fooled by the cover on these ones, just because they're not what we yeah. look at in young adult books. Yeah. I found the if, one that I was thinking of, the Hamlet one. Um, it's, oh. It does sound really cool, but again, I was like, how can it end? It can't end well, right? Um, Falling for Hamlet by Michelle Ray. It's told from um, it's it's totally contemporary and it's told from Ophelia's point of view. Oh my god. Um, yeah. So. That's uh, the whole... I mean, we could go down a hole. Yeah. I yeah. The, the character of Ophelia is so interesting to me. There was a movie with Daisy Ridley in it recently called Ophelia that I really that was a that was a very interesting retelling where they just changed the story. But yeah. it's not a, it was not contemporary and it's no. not so no. I should not one, go down that rabbit hole. You could read that. The other <laughs> ones that um, I was going I was going to mention are um, one that I just started reading and I'm very excited. Um, to finish reading it, and I just have to read you the first um, the first uh, sentence from the book and see if you can guess what retelling this might be. Uh, it's a truth universally acknowledged that when rich people move into the hood, where it's a little broken and a little bit forgotten, the first thing they want to do is clean it up. Pride and prejudice. Exactly. So this is a couldn't be more contemporary, set in Bushwick, Brooklyn, um, retelling of um, Pride and Prejudice, where the characters are. Um, well, one's definitely African-American, the other one I'm not sure, but it's, like, actually very, very cool uh, looking. Uh, the cover is awesome. I really like it. It's, like, uh, this old goldy kind of cover with, like, pride written on it in, like, bright aqua blue, um, and it's by um, uh, Ibi Zaboy, and I'm very, very much looking forward to reading it because I do love a good, as we know from the first Bookish Boyfriends, Pride and Prejudice retelling, and it's perfect for who is more pride and prejudiced than teenagers, honestly? <laughs> I That is on my list now. That sounds yeah. And then there's another one that um, that is a really interesting take on a different, like, like different classic, which is called Olivia Twisted um, by Vivi Barnes. And um, it's basically about a girl <clears throat> who Olivia could also be known, you know, as Oliver maybe because she is a um, an orphan who moves from foster home to foster home. Um, she's a computer genius and she meets this boy, Z, or AKA the Artful Dodger, who um, takes her back um, to this share house that he lives in, won by Nancy, 
and who um, who uh, has this who works for this guy Bill Sykes, um, like <laughs> hacking, hacking people on the internet for money. This is awesome. Yeah, so I've read that one, um, and then there's a sequel, Olivia Decoded. So um, that's like a really interesting telling of, of Oliver Twist. I don't think I've ever read a Dickens retelling. I kind of need that in my life, I think. Yeah, yeah. So these are, these are, um, these are, yeah, I haven't read the second one. So uh, it would be interesting to see uh, how they progress the story. And, um, you know, talking about things that change, when um, we did a production of, completely off topic, we did a production of Oliver <laughs> in primary school. And um, they let Nancy live. And um, it really annoyed <laughs> See, I would like to see that. The dramatic tension of the... It's kind um, of like wish fulfillment, right? Like every time time you've uh, read Oliver and you've been sad about that, isn't it like a balm for the soul to see a version where it works out okay? You're so right. But I was really into that, that, you know, the the traditional um, musical um, movie version from the 70s. Um, And so I I watched that when I was in primary school, like getting ready to be in, you know, a strawberry cellar in um, in Oliver. And so I was like, this is not right. This is not okay to be changing. How dare <laughs> they? <laughs> so there's an example of where it does not work. Um, it kind of ruins the story if Nancy lives. Um, even, even though I can understand when you're in year five, in years five or six, they probably don't want like 10 or 11 year olds to have like death scenes in their musicals. But um, yeah. they've got to pick something else. <laughs> Thank you. That anyway. series sounds interesting. And then I don't think it, it is possible to have a podcast about YA contemporary retellings of classics without mentioning one of my favourite series, The Every Series by Ellie Marnie, which is True. a YA contemporary retelling of uh, Sherlock Holmes. And we've spoken about it multiple times on this podcast, so I won't, <laughs> I, I'm not gonna, I won't go into it too much except to say that I love it and it's definitely on my list of favourites in this subgenre. Yeah. Oh, and so how good is it going to be? Because when we read the next Bookish Boyfriends, we can read these Sherlock Holmes stories um, as well and then we can compare to see how they've, um, you know, which bits, elements they've taken. How they compare. I mean, Sherlock, actually, on the, on the just briefly, on the subject of Sherlock, why can you read Sherlock recently? There is another series I just remembered that I totally forgot about when we were preparing for this podcast. I, I think the author is called Stephanie Tromley. I'm just yeah, looking it up no, now. Yes, Stephanie Tromley. Um, it's like called the Trouble series, and it yeah. is also inspired by um, Sherlock Holmes, and it is another one on my list. Of- yes, it's on my TBR list. It's been on there for like a year. Um, I really, really, really need to read them. Um, I might. It's a lot of fun. It's loads yeah. of fun that series. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of love the YA contemporary retellings of classics. It's a, it's a hard to come by genre, but when you find the good ones, they're really good. Exactly. Yeah. On that note, I feel we should probably now talk about our <laughs> <laughs> um, favourite Australian author that we're going to be uh, highlighting. Uh, oh yeah. Today. So we couldn't, and and if anyone's listening to this and they know, we've already shouted out to Ellie Mani, so. We couldn't, we couldn't shout out to her in this podcast. And we could not think of another Australian author who's done a contemporary way retelling of um, a classic. So if you're listening to this and you know of one, 
besides Eleni, please let us know <laughs> because I will be all over that. And in the absence of another one that fits the theme, we decided to just pick one of our favourites. And so today we're shouting out to Garth Nix. Um, Garth Nix is amazing. He has written um, so many wonderful books, particularly the um, the Old Kingdom series, which I, I absolutely adore. There was Angel Mage last year, which was one of my standout reads of last year. And coming up later this year, we're all very excited about the left-handed booksellers of London, which Oh my God, just do yourself a favour and jump online and read about The Left-Handed Booksellers of London by Garth Nix. It sounds amazing. Yeah. It is one of my, like, absolute can't wait to read it coming out. Yeah, and you want to be pre-ordering that now so you can get it as soon as it comes out. Yes. Yeah. Um, since he came in last year when he wrote about Angel Mage and then mentioned this book to us, I have been dying to read that book for, like, almost almost a year now oh my god it's been longer for me he mentioned the title of this book I feel like it was a few years ago and I was well, no. <laughs> so enchanted by the title um I just you know I love it I, and I've also I've heard that he's got another old kingdom book coming up soon ah, called Tessiel and Eleanor, or maybe it's Eleanor. So it's a couple of months before the new book comes out, so plenty of time for if anyone hasn't read Garth Nix before to read, like, pretty much all of his books, I would say. Yeah, look, everything he does is great. I, another favourite of mine from him is Frog Kisser. Oh, um, yes. It's oh. such a funny book. It's so and much fun. So perfect for that Nick, for that other podcast we'll do sometime about... Um, Very charming time. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. yeah, that's happening. Uh, he's also got Keys to the Kingdom, Garth Nix, you know. Legend. Legend, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, look, absolutely. I mean, I've been in just it, – it, it's so fascinating to hear all of these amazing retellings, and I, I've just been – I feel like Mark now. He just sits here and he, and he has a whole bunch of stuff to now add to his to his to-be-read list. Um, Guys, never, never, ever boring. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming on our podcast. Um, very much appreciated. Um, so if you are listening to this podcast, you can listen to uh, our author discussions, uh, book analysis pieces, and also our forthcoming uh, podcast about retellings uh, and more um, on our SoundCloud and iTunes app. Uh, we'll be back at the same time tomorrow for another episode of The Daily Booktopian. Um, until then, keep reading and please stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.